Game on to FM with Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is get real. Thanks to Jenny Green for her company this afternoon. It's Tuesday the 18th of January and this is Game On. Coming up today, J.A. Stallworth, Potty Marr and John Heslin on longevity and big career decisions. Heslin shakes off with Michael Fitzsimons. Really good strike. And it's another score for John Heslin, his third. As far as Joe Canning, a crunching tackle. And it's Potty Marr who came in that time. Out over the sideline went Joe Canning, and he certainly felt the effects of that. Oh, the excitement in your voice, Marie, when you got to lead off there with GAA. <laughs> it just lifted you to a completely new level. I'm easily but pleased, in, Ruby. Oh, I'm telling you. In cricket, Ireland's Harry Tector will join us on bringing recent form into the series win over the West Indies. This has been brilliant from Harry Tector. It really has been on this Caribbean tour. His seventh half century in his last ten one-day internationals. Plus, we've Mark Langdon with the latest on Erling Holland's future. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Game On on 2FM. So, Marie, had you a busy afternoon? Had I a busy afternoon? Well, I had because we've loads of GA, <laughs> cricket and a couple of other sports that I'm not exactly off air with. So I have had... A very busy afternoon trying to prepare for this show that I'm sure you just knew everything about. Well, today was one of the easier days when it came to prep, all right. I have interviewed John and Paddy quite a lot over the last while. I've been interviewing John for so long that I actually still have his Australia number in my phone. And he was there 10 years ago for only a few weeks. So that's that's how long I've been following his career. So it does come easy enough to me. And interestingly, actually, while we're on that, I was only just talking to the producer a little bit earlier about this. So when John was in Australia, I interviewed him while he was still there. And when Kieran Kilkenny came back from Australia, I went out to the Castlenock Hotel and interviewed him there as well. But now I'd say if I was to try and get an interview with Oshin Mullen, who is not going to Australia, it would be really hard. And it just shows how much the GA has changed in terms of access and... um, how hard it is now to get interviews with people compared to 10 years ago. Yeah, it's all behind every club and team seems to have a a media manager now mm-hmm. that you have to go through to get a to get an interview to get a phone call but I was just thinking there the real touch in that would have been had the independent sent it to Australia to interview John nice. Hislin that would have been the trip. <laughs> it wasn't that I mean, important though I was only uh, junior. Kenny, Kenny out in the Castanock Hotel yeah it was great to get in touch with him but interviewing him maybe in Sydney probably would have sounded a bit better. Not for me unfortunately. We can dream can't we? We yeah. can dream. Anyway there was plenty of action in Australia today. Obviously, Britain's Emma Raducanu beat American Sloan Stevens in three sets in their her Melbourne senior Melbourne debut. The US Open champion won six love two six six one, um, which was a really pleasing performance for her. Did you watch any of the tennis today, Marie? Not Are you a tennis a bit fan. Of it. I like it when it gets to the kind of quarterfinal stage. Is when I'd tune in. The early rounds now wouldn't float my boat as much unless it was really big names, but. When it gets when it gets to the to the gritty end of it, I'm there all the way. Yeah, I'm out with my I, tennis racket in the garden kind of person. Yeah, I can see that. Like Daniel Medvedev obviously coasted through in three straight sets. But Andy Murray's match was a great match. I mean, obviously his first time playing back in Australia where in twenty nineteen he thought he might have to retire. He's a wild card. He was playing the twenty one seed Nicolas 
bash Shalashvili. I had rehearsed that four <laughs> times effort. today and listened to it all day and, and I still have managed to get it right, I'm sure. And the match swung both ways before Andy Murray won 6136646764. Um, great to see him come back, especially I met him actually in the, in the Wareham in Cheltenham um, before I retired and he'd had his hip operation and it was, you know, fascinating to listen to him to go back to such a high level of sport with basically a new hip. Why was he in the weight room in Cheltenham? He was there. I don't know why he was there. He was with AP. Um, I don't know why he was even at Cheltenham, but um, he came into the weight room and we were talking to him because it is one thing that a jockey can't do. You can't ride with a, an artificial hip, knee, any of them, but obviously you can play tennis. And why can't you? I was always of the belief for the simple fact that it won't break. <laughs> okay. Obviously, and therefore in horse racing that possibly puts you in more danger if it won't break. I'm going to something, add that to the list of things I've never give. thought about before. So something has to give somewhere, but if it should be your hip and you have a metal one or a titanium one and it won't give, something else has to. Um, that's only... Is that physics? Probably. Possibly. Say the two scientists that do you take science. <laughs> if anybody in knows, please I know text I us didn't. In. I know I didn't take science in school. Did biology and junior cert? That was about it. Five one five five two. Is Ruby talking science here or what? No, is it is it, is it physics though? It's something else has to give. Is that just a, one of those acts of physics or whatever you call it? I, I'm right. exposing my my um, my knowledge of very little here at the minute. And I'm right behind you, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? John Heslin is on the phone. We were talking about John, and um, John did a little bit of a stint in Australia almost 10 years ago. And since then, a lot of our Gaelic footballers have come and gone and, and followed a similar path, went over. Some have had success, some have come back again and re-embedded themselves in uh, Gaelic football. Uh, Oshin Mullen being the latest and someone that has uh, garnered a huge amount of attention, of attention because he is two-time uh, Young Player of the Year and obviously an outstanding talent and so crucial to any hopes and dreams that Mayo football fans would have about uh, about having um, an All-Ireland title in the near future and he has decided to stay much to the light of all those Mayo fans while John Heston now joins us on the line just to talk to us a little bit about that decision-making process going to Australia, what it's like and then what it's like to come back but first of all, John Heston, is Ruby talking physics? Hi, Marie. Hi, Ruby. How are things? Hi, John. All right. Um, I I only came in late there, so I'm not going to nail my flag to the mast and say what he <laughs> what he's really talking about. But uh, I get where he's coming from. I, I'll say that much. Right. Obviously, I, I I explained it in a in a in a layman's way. Then, John, is that the best way of putting it? Trying to put fancy exactly. words in there yeah. in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, you, you sounded like you knew what you're talking about. So that's that. Always talking good games. Isn't that what I say? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, John. Fill us in. Obviously, look, you went to Australia. You gave it a go. I was reading up on it uh, all afternoon. And it was, from what I got from what your emotions or your feelings were when you were in Australia, is that simply there was no love for playing the AFL? Yeah, um, I suppose, actually, just coming back to what Marie said, I'm actually home 10 years next month. Uh, I think it's next month. I came back and play. I actually didn't miss any inter-county season. That's one thing I, I'll never forget. The way I went, I didn't miss any inter-county uh, campaign. But uh, yeah, nearly home 10 years at this stage. Um, it's a it's a great opportunity. A, a clubmate of mine, Fiona Hara, has just gone out to Hawthorne. So I was looking forward to following his career. But um, 
look, it's uh, as you can see from the record, it's, it's for some people and not for others. I, I kind of went out around the age of 18 and 19. I had two years done of university here in UCD, and I suppose the biggest challenge for me was that I, uh, I suppose nature, I'm a kind of a, a happy enough person in the sense that I loved my life here and uh, gone over to start a new game and new environment and everything like that. It was a really, really exciting challenge and, you know, something that I'd encourage anyone who gets the opportunity to try. But you always have that opportunity to come home. And for me, I probably went out at a wrong wrong stage. I went out in July. Um, and usually first-year players don't go out until maybe October, November, whereas actually you see Fionn, he's gone out in January. So the pre-season kind of starts typically in October, November. You train get a bit of a break for, for Christmas, come back for another six to eight weeks of hard training again in pre-season, and then you're into game time. Whereas I went out in July, and I was just training for months on end, and that was a big determining factor of me coming home because I was just set up a training. Uh, you come, you, you play as, a, as an 18 or 19-year-old here in Ireland, certainly those times. I was playing minor, under-21, senior, club, county, Sigerson football. I was used to playing three games a week. And then I went out to an environment where I wasn't playing any games. So that, that, that was particularly challenging for me. John, I'm going to go back a little bit before that. Just the decision-making process, because that seems to be what people are really curious about. And it seemed like Oshin Mullen was going. Um, he had committed. He had a squad number. And, you know, everyone was nearly bidding him farewell. The, people started to ask a few questions around Christmas when he hadn't gone. Even up till last week, the club had suggested that he was going to move over and, and it seemed like um, Geelong had got their man, essentially, but he has opted now to, to stay with Mayo. So what's that whole decision-making process? Like, what are the what are you thinking about when you're deciding whether you're going to leave home? Yeah, I suppose then um, <clears throat> I can't really comment on Oshin's experience because you know, and look, I suppose as we all know, nothing's nothing's final until it actually happens. And you know, while it was confirmed, he, he Oshim was going until he set foot in Australia and was training with them. That's the nature of the beast that it's it's not definite until it's actually happening, if you like. Um, my my uh, journey was slightly different in the sense that I did not have two young player of the year awards, and I, and I wasn't uh, on the team competing regularly for an All Ireland uh, title, so. You know, mine was slightly different, but, you know, same same situation in the sense, well, I had my first trial with Essendon when I was 17, and uh, that was on the back of Westmead getting to an under-21 Leinster final against the Dubs, um, which we should have won, but we won't talk about that today. And uh, went over went over on trial, really enjoyed it. Like, I was, I was all set to become a professional footballer. I was over in England on soccer trials as a kid, so professional football was always what I wanted to do. Um, the manager changed with Essendon, so that interest kind of dropped, and you know that, is, that that in itself is a learning for professional sport. Then, luckily enough, we played uh, a Sigerson weekend in UCD, and I was asked to go over on the back of that to Richmond Tigers, and I knew before I was going over, I knew that I was going. Um, uh, if they offered me that that opportunity, it was just something that I always wanted to do and always wanted to try. But at the end of the day really like it when I came home for Christmas I didn't want to go back and my father you know encouraged me look uh, things aren't always like this here at home Christmas is a, as we all know in Ireland it's a very very unique time of the year um, but I went back for another six weeks and, and came home again because I was, I was sure it just wasn't for me personally 
Um, look, I suppose Fushy Mullen, from what I can comment, he's obviously in a good environment, good team, obviously loves what he has here in Ireland because it, it is so hard to leave uh, something you're you're used to, you know. But, um, yeah, that's as, as much as I can give. From, from his perspective, I obviously wouldn't be able to comment, you know. And John, when you're looking at it and, and you're weighing it up, so you are Oshin Mullen, you're 21, as you say, you were 18. It is a life choice too. I mean, you're leaving whatever start you have made in a career here or finishing college or university, whatever it is, you're going to be a professional and that's your job. It's everything you're going to do. I don't know what AFL players get, but is it enough to buy a house, buy a car? Could you go and get enough to come home and set yourself up here? Um, you certainly could as you progress through your career. Um, as an international rookie, like at the time I was out there, um, there was a couple of Westmead people out there who were working on the site. You know, Tyler Daniels, Jim, James Durkin, Jerry Lane, all people who actually really, really looked after me when I was over there. But as an international rookie, you're nearly like it's nearly like minimum wage if you like within the AFL. It's it's a great start, it was a magnificent start for me as a 19 year old. I I was driving a car, Ruby, in UCD. It cost me 250 euro. And I was driving that around UCD and up and down to train with wet need. I went out to Australia and I was driving a brand new Jeep Cherokee. Um, you know, so obviously it had a stark contrast for me in that perspective. But is it going to set you up for life? Not unless you're there for a number of years and become a senior player. Like, you know, like the likes of Zach Tui, they've done exceptionally well um, out of the AFL. Um, but you know, and I, I heard you mention the word success. Um, everyone's definition of being a successful AFL player will be different. You know, Tommy Walsh spent five years there, um, five years of a career, didn't play a senior game, but I would still categorise him as a success because I know what it takes to, to be there first and foremost, and um, but also to have stayed there five years is is remarkable. You know, but. Other people obviously count the amount of games you played. And what's the culture like then, John, when you do join a team and, and you're coming over from Ireland and like essentially you're a really small fish in a big pond and you're trying to make your way in a brand new sport? How hard is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Marie, because like it's something you're you're not you're not used to. Like I, I remember going into uh, into training at the time and it'll be up on the board a colour-coded score in terms of how you're performing that week and that could be in the pitch uh, in the gym and general so like you could have a red score for example if you're not performing well on the pitch you could have a big red mark beside your name and everybody sees that and it's very much like uh, cutthroat in one sense because you can see that everybody knows how you're doing and then you're also going competing against these guys for a position and at the end of the day, that position is for a, a, a place on the team to perform, but also there's money behind that in terms of a financial reward for every appearance you make. You know, so it's very, it's it's tough in that sense because friendships and what is a what is a friendship? You know, that that comes into question when you're competing against that person. It's a, it would be in a very very different environment to what you're used to. We'll say playing with your club or your college or. Intercounty uh, that could not prepare you for that sort of thing. It's, uh, but at the same time, everybody I must say, like everybody I worked with there, was very welcoming, looked after me, did everything they could to keep me there, and you know, there's no doubt about that. It's uh, look, it's a long, long way from home and all the rest, especially when you're young, you know. 
Sean, is that not, though, slightly the reality of professional sport? If you're a jockey, you're competing for the same ride, you're paid per ride like that, paid per performance, you get a percentage of winning, so you have to win. You're sitting beside people that are basically your competitors. Now, granted, they're on the same team, but that that is just what professional sport is. That's what happens when you bring money in. That's not what the GA has, but like surely people would be expecting that going. Yet you seem 100%. to think it was a bit of a shock. No, well, like for me as an 18 or 19 year old, it would have been a, a massive shock because I was never in that environment as such, you know. But absolutely, you're right. That that is what um, we know of as professional sport. And I think the key thing for me, Ruby, is when you're in Ireland and you're a jockey, you're competing against these people, you still have um, some, some support, exactly. And when you're in Australia, you don't have that. You're relying on these people who you're now. These are now your friends, your teammates, and the first person you're, well, let's say the, the second person you're competing against because you're competing against yourself, number one. But you, these people are all of the above to you. Whereas I, I remember saying when I came home that if I had that environment and I was doing it here in Ireland, I feel I would have been able to do it to a, a better level because I would have had that support network outside of those people you're competing against. Um, and to, to, to kind of use an example here in Ireland, there was we refined our Westmead panel this week, and there was a, a pair of brothers going for the panel. One of them made it, and one of them didn't make it. And I just I remember asking, uh, or well, I asked indirectly, how did that go down? You know, but it was it was no big deal. I felt it would have been tough, but it's just a completely different scenario and environment, and his support systems there. Everything else he was doing before he was. The football will be there. Do you know, it's that, it's that support network that, that we probably take for granted here. Uh, it is. And I know you, you were at 18, but at Oshina, 21 is, is a couple of years older. And it seems to me that you have to go when you're younger. But for more Irish people to make it that voyage successful, do they have to almost quench their GAA thirst before they go? If they're going to if they're going to make it successful, and can they do it when they're older, or is that door just not open to them? Yeah, again, it's a it's 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 a it's a double ended question, I suppose, but a good one. Like, yeah, look, like anything, the younger you try it, the younger you adapt to it, the quicker the quicker you'll make that transition. That that would definitely be one thing. But uh, as you said, there, the kind of life experience, ticking off a couple of boxes here in Ireland, maybe would be more beneficial. And there are. Examples of both. I know Ray Canellan from Westmead. He went over. He spent, I think, three years there. Again, in my book, I would I would class it as a success because he he actually stayed. Uh, I suppose I'd classify anything as success if they stayed any, any bit longer than me. To be honest, but, uh, <laughs> like you know, he stood out there for three years. He went out at a slightly older age. But I actually read an interview with him recently where he's uh, I think he's twenty seven now and he's still doing college. Uh, which is fine. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And he, but he just mentioned that sometimes he regrets that, even though I'd always be saying to him, absolutely not, you're, you're in a fantastic position. Whereas I came home early, did my, I spent a long time in UCD. Um, I was in UCD for nearly nine years. You know, the lots of, lots of people do that now, have never been to Australia to play football. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, true. But I, I did a different, had a different journey. And look, there's the examples of people going over young, going over older it's just uh, look a lot of, a lot depends on the team you're with I, and, and I forget with the team but I, I went to Richmond Tigers the development coach 
uh, changed as well within the period of time. And something so small to the outsider was so important to me in my development because I came in had actually limited experience in development in an AFL panel. So, like, these small things have a huge impact. Like, Fiona Hara, my club mate, just gone out to Hawthorne. He's in a fantastic position because he's under the guidance of Conor Nash from uh, Mead, who's, who's been there, who's done it, who's made performances, and is bringing him under his wing. And Hawthorne are used to, to bringing these people through. And, again, to, to contrast my own situation, Jamie O'Reilly from County Down was with Richmond at the time, but his contract basically ended when I got there. So that support that I mentioned earlier on just wasn't there for me. So, look, you have to be an adult and get up and get on the horse, Ruby, and, and do it. But that just, it does have a big impact, I think, you know. Tell us a little bit about Fiona Hara that you mentioned there. I didn't realise he was your clubmate. I knew he's Westmead and former Ireland and Leinster rugby player as well. How much talent does this young guy have, John? Oh, Look, sir, a massive, massive amount, Maria. I, I suppose when I, he first played with us in the senior club campus last year and played the last of many games, got us help uh, bring us over the line in county final in, in 2020, 2020, um, scored a point in that game. Oh, he's just he is he is actually a real professional in the in the way he goes about his his uh, his training. Like I never forget just watching him in training for the first time and just his application to the simple things. We could be soloing, we could be hand passing, but they're the fundamentals of the game that get you to the top level, you know. And he was just so focused on on his skills, and I, I might not be doing it justice, but when when you see the guy in action, um, you know. But look, he's he's obviously shown talent across uh, multiple sports. Um, yeah, he's he's ha- he has a great opportunity in Hawthorne, great man to run, and um, which is what you need in the AFL. And maybe come back to a question that Ruby asked, like. The running and endurance level that's required in the AFL is not something that you can develop at a later age. Um, that would be one thing that I would have certainly experienced when I went over. I would not have been used to the endurance that um, they, the, the AFL young lads were. Whereas, look, Gaelic games have changed now, in fairness. like It's very much a, a running game now. It's, it's 10 years ago that was. But, look, Fionn uh, Marie... Very, very bright future. Looking forward to following his career. I, I am, uh, of course, hopefully he will return one day and play with uh, St. Lomans and Westmead. Um, but just to, to liken to or give an example, Ruby asked, you have to kind of tick a few boxes here in Ireland before you go over. He was so focused with the Hawthorne training that you know he didn't feature for us this year in the Senior Championship. We went on to win the Senior Championship with Lomans this year. But he didn't feature because... Hawthorne had him under their wraps and focused on on getting right for pre-season with them, you know. Okay, well, we'll be keeping an eye on him for sure. And just before we let you go, John, a texter has sent us in from information. He said, what Ruby's talking about is Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, but is that physics or what, is it <laughs> chemistry? Or... That's physics. Can you That's please come back maybe. again? I can say that one. I can say that one. Right, John, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, best of luck with the league ahead and sure, no doubt, we will also uh, be chatting to you again. Great. Thanks, Marie. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks. See you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Game on on 2FM with Green Farm. Your rise and grind isn't real. Our protein is get real. Two FM.
This has been brilliant from Harry Tector. It really has been on this Caribbean tour. His seventh half century in his last 10 one-day internationals. Now, great to hear that little bit of commentary on Harry Tector and delighted to say that he joins us now on the line fresh from that series win over the West Indies. Harry, how are you? Hey, Marie. Yeah, I'm good. Good to be home now. It was a, a long tour, but happy to be back now. Yeah, it must have been, actually. So when did you go? I actually was out in the States maybe two weeks before the, the rest of the team. So I left sort of the 3rd of December and got back today. 3rd of December. Obviously, you played... Sorry, Harry, it's Ruby here. Um, obviously, you played against the USA just before Christmas and on Christmas Eve. And how was it going into Christmas after those results? You're away from home... Yeah. Christmas. Yeah, well, I actually, I actually had COVID at the time, and and I think Gareth Delaney as well. Both of us were were watching those games from our hotel room, and it it was just a weird trip. I think the these are unprecedented times that we're in, and um, it, it was just weird. But going into Christmas, thankfully, when we got out at that point, not, none of us had COVID. Um, little did we know what was to come. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was different being away for Christmas, but I guess we had a nice group and some of our partners were out, so, th so that made it a bit easier. You got really hit hard with COVID, Harry. It seems like that every time one of you came out, somebody else went in. How difficult was <laughs> yeah. that to manage? Uh, it was, it was. And uh, I guess with this new variant, it's just so transmissible, isn't it? And I think the, what really shook the squad was when we got to the, the West Indies and then seven days went by and we were in a strict biosecure bubble and then we had two more cases and then another three a couple of days later and I think that shook us because really we shouldn't be getting COVID at that point and I think that was when people started to get a bit apprehensive and, and nervous about what was going on. I can only imagine what kind of nerves added to the whole atmosphere but how is training in those conditions? You're in a biosecure bubble, you're in the West Indies you're coming off the back of a couple of T20 defeats but like you're faced into a big series against the Windies how was training and how did you keep morale up? On one hand it was, it was business as usual and then on the other hand I think we had a couple incidences where lads were quite literally pulled from the middle of training because one of their positive res results came back and um, that that element of, of it was weird just the not knowing who had it or um, what was to, to come in the coming days but you know you don't need any extra motivation when you're playing the West Indies away from home so I think everyone was just sort of focused on what they needed to do to make sure they were ready to play that first ODI It's been a rocky little while for you guys Harry so when you look at that win over the West Indies and just focus on everything as well that happened in the run-up to it. How important was it to get that win just for yourself, for the team, for the confidence that you're going to need now heading into 2022? Yeah, it's massive. Um, it, it, it's massive and like you said, it's been a, it has been a tough tough couple of months. There's no shying away from that. Um, we haven't played as well as we wanted to, particularly in T20 cricket. Um, but it's massive to, to win a series away from home against a team like the West Indies you know, it's something an Irish team has never never done before. So so to go out there and do it without a captain, without a coach, without, you know, three frontline players, it's it's nothing short of remarkable in my opinion and, and all credit has to go not just to the players who played, but the guys who were not playing and, and the backroom staff as well. It was a really remarkable achievement. 
it just all sounds like it was so destined to fail, yet it was an absolute complete <laughs> success. But like you're, you're part of the first generation of professional cricketers in Ireland. How important for Irish cricket going forward, for, for the sport, for the finances of it, for, for keeping those professional contracts was winning a one-day series? Oh, it's massive. It's massive. And I think even before that, showing younger players are under 19s or under 19 World Cup now knowing in their shoes that they can go on and become professional cricketers in Ireland is massive and that was something that when I was growing up I always said I wanted to be a professional cricketer um, but I never really thought I I could um, in Ireland until really I turned 18 and off the back of that golden generation's brilliant success and and it's just massive it is it's, it's a massive victory for cricket in Ireland for your family though it's pretty amazing so your brother Tim has captained now the Ireland under 18s they're going to play um, tomorrow against India and your brother Jack as well so when you think about the fact that the three of you guys have captained Ireland at under 19 level it's amazing you must have just been playing cricket your whole lives growing up in the garden every opportunity what was it like? Yeah it was weird we actually got it my dad played cricket but um, we were introduced um, into cricket through our primary school and through Breen O'Rourke and Sharon Cole and um, just fell in love with the game and you know we were fortunate we had a nice little patio that allowed the tennis ball to bounce pretty evenly when we were growing up and just fell in love with the game fell in love with my club YMCA um, and just spent all my summers down there with, with my brothers and some of my best friends um, and yeah, it was, it was a madhouse growing up. We all love cricket, and I have a younger sister as well. She she loves her cricket, and you know it, it's a it's a cricket madhouse. We all we all love it. It's funny though the genes that you come from. Your maternal grandfather Tom Dixon won All Ireland senior hurling title with Wexford, and then Bill Tector on the other side played rugby for Ireland in the Five Nations. So there's a really good basis for for sporting genes there. Yeah, it must have skipped a generation with my mum and dad, I think. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, look, um, they were two amazing sportsmen. Um, I unfortunately never got to, to meet either of them, but I've heard so many amazing stories about um, about both of them. And Yeah, great great sporting genes. I have a couple of cousins who, who've played professional rugby, and, um, yeah, we come from a, a good sporting family. Look, obviously cricket is, is not a, a massive sport in Ireland, but globally it's what the second biggest fan base in in sport is two point five billion fans and for cricket globally soccer is only bigger. Like globally it's a huge sport. Are there opportunities for you to to travel, to play abroad and hold an Irish contract? Uh, absolutely, and I think that's what uh that's what every Irish cricketer aspires to do. I think you've seen the likes with, with Kevin O'Brien and Paul Sterling being the main two they've gone away um, played in all these T20 franchises around the world and done well and, and, and made some, some good money off it and um, like you said contracts in Ireland will only get um, better and better hopefully and um, going around the world and playing in these franchise tournaments not just about the money but gaining the experience learning more about cricket um, and how it's played from some of the best players in the world is can only be a positive thing and, and thankfully Cricket Ireland are supportive of our players doing that. Josh Little was recently in Sri Lanka um, doing a similar thing and it's just so important the more high level cricket we can play in Ireland is the better because um, 
facilities here are difficult during the summer. Hopefully they'll continue to get better um, to produce more high-quality cricketers. But going around the world, playing in different conditions, playing against better players, that's, that's the only way Irish cricket can improve. Is it simply our climate or a lack of investment that make condi- conditions difficult here in the summer? Um, our climate certainly doesn't help. Um, it certainly doesn't help, but our our facilities have to improve and, and there's no shying away from that. Um, firstly, our, our training facilities, senior players have to be able to, to train on grass um, during the summer and, and and that's that's the reality. All senior players, men, women, intercro players, they have to be on on grass wickets, and and we we rely on clubs at the minute. And hopefully, the high performance centre in Abbotstown can alleviate some of that pressure in the in the coming year. Um, but yeah, all across the board, it has to improve. But look, hopefully, we're we're getting there. We're not there yet. But I think the fact that we can produce results like we have done in the past eighteen months, twenty four months, without the best of facilities. Um, shows where where we can go and and how far we can we can go. So, twenty twenty two, you'll have a new coach in Henrik Mallon taking in the reins in March, and a lot of cricket to play as well. So, what's next for you guys then, Harry? So, um, we have the T Twenty World Cup qualifiers um, coming up. We leave on the fifth of May. Selection um, depending. I I wasn't in the last T Twenty squad, um, so waiting to hear whether whether I'll be back in or um on that trip or not. My fingers are crossed now but um wait and see. So the team will leave for there. That's that's a massive tournament for us and go away and I think two teams qualify from that. So so it's gonna be high pressure cricket. Um but you know we're looking forward to it and if we play our best cricket, you know, we'll qualify and, and that's the way we've got to view that. Um but it's gonna to be tough. Um but that's the that's the main focus now and then into a massive summer, Bangladesh, New Zealand I think there's a, a test match or two um, scheduled in, which is super exciting, and then the, another T20 World Cup in October. So it's a jam-packed uh, schedule, and, and and we're all certainly really looking forward to it. Well, you started the year on a high, so hopefully it'll continue through the summer for you. Harry Tector, thanks a million for taking our call. We're going to take a quick break. Green Farm. Rise and grind as the hustle mindset aren't real. The protein in our chicken is. Get real. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Game On with me, Marie Crow and Ruby Walsh. We are delighted now to be joined by FBD Ambassador and Tipperary Hurler and All-Star Paddy Marr at the announcement of the new naming rights partnership between FBD Insurance, Ireland's largest homegrown insurer and Tipperary's Semple Stadium. So it's a five-year deal and we'll see the stadium renamed as the FBD Semple Stadium. Paddy, how are you? How are things? Oh, that's how are you? Good. I was looking at the reports coming from your interviews today and they're all focused on the fact that you're going again. Were you ever not going to go again or does this just happen when you go over 30 every time a new season starts you get asked the same questions? Yeah, I think it's something to do with that Marie, alright. Um, once you hit the big three all you're kind of every every year has been questioned but no, I was always going to if my body was, was fit and well and able um, I was always going to give another shot anyway. Um, I was just going to wait and see how the club season finished out and if I felt good physically and most importantly if I felt I was still able to perform um, somewhere to the level that's needed um, I said I'd give another go and um, I'm going to do that and see how we get on 
Polly, I had the same questions. It's some pain in the backside, isn't it? As soon as you get to 30. I mean, you'd swear you'd fallen off the edge of a cliff like and you were not able to walk anymore. People keep asking you, is this your last year? You just wonder why the times, don't you? I was that, like, and, and I suppose players coming to late 20s, early 30s, that's when they're con- considered to be in their prime as well and possibly playing their best their best hurling in our case, you know. So, um, yeah, look, I suppose it's just an Irish thing, really, isn't it? That once you hit 30, they're kind of they want they want to start writing you off in ways but um yeah so no it's like I a lazy anyway, topic of conversation I, it's almost like the 19 year olds haven't got the experience the 30 year old is too old you wonder what exactly most of them want yeah i know yeah but look i'd say as i said we're well used to now at this stage this is i suppose i'm hitting 33 now next month so well used to at this stage but um look i just keep going as if the body's fit and able get as much out of it while we can as long as we can anyway that's for sure Journalism is hard, lads. Trying to come up with original questions all the time. It, it's not easy. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah, but I'll tell you one thing. You should direct wreck my head. <laughs> but you know what, Potty, as well? I think, like, we played a clip of you at the start and you're in the clip and Joe Canning is there as well. And, you know, you kind of came up through the same time and you'd always associate the battles um, that you might have had over the years. And when someone like him is, you know, disappearing into the sunset, it probably does raise questions then about the people that have came along the same time too. Yeah, look, I suppose, and... Look, he'll go down as one one of the generation hurlers, but um, he obviously, you know, has his own reasons why he stepped away and feels it's the right time, obviously. And look, you don't know what other people, you know, are are, are feeling or what how they're feeling physically, or you know, some people just could be mentally fatigued and look have enough of it. It's a big commitment, and it's getting even stronger. Like you know, um, you know, the, the daily the daily demands for amateur players is getting more and more. Like you know, so like you couldn't blame anyone that's heading towards our age really that are have said look we've given enough and, and that's it like and um, look Joe probably has his own reasons and, and I'm sure he's happy enough with his decision and um, look as I said there's other players then you see like the TJ Reid is bombing on there's not a bother in him and there's other players you know Kevin Moore retired there recently but he gave a great service to Waterford as well and he went into 34-35 so look it can be done if you look after yourself and look the most importantly once the appetite is strong that's the main thing there's no point going in and making it as a chore Know, turn up for training every Tuesday and Thursday and, 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 and considering work like you know you have to go in and enjoy it and at the moment I'm enjoying it so I'll, I'll keep going Every year there is conversations about how much more intense the commitment can get and you mentioned there that it you know keeps increasing like what's the biggest thing that you've noticed even in the last couple of years that has changed and, and that you um, weren't doing when you were starting out or weren't doing in the early years? Yeah, look, I suppose it's kind of gone it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a way that, you know, recovery days aren't actually days off. Like, you know, they're kind of, everything is active recovery. If I, when I was going back to starting out my career, even through my career there, you know, a recovery day to me was lying on the couch all day and watching telly. And, you know, that that's not the way it is anymore. Like, it's all active recovery. You're getting on a bike, you're going swimming, you're going stretching, you're, there's always something to be doing. And um, so, like, the days off aren't really days off at all, so... You know, there's great demands being put in players at the moment, but look, as I said, it's gone semi-professional every way now, you know, nutrition, strength condition, it's changed so much since I started, so look, that's just what's required, and when teams are successful then, and that's what they're doing, other teams follow suit and, and feel they have to, to do the same thing, so look, it's just people are raising the bar the whole time, and it's just making other teams and other counties try and, and step up to that, that level. But you're 
love of playing hurling must be incredible. I mean, you're 14 years at it. It's basically, as you say now, 24 hours, seven days a week. You've won three All-Irelands, five Munster titles, six All-Stars. You must just absolutely love it. Yeah, sure. You'd want to kind of love it, wouldn't you? Like, um, to, to keep at it, like, that, with the commitment that we were just talking about. But, yeah, look, I suppose, as you get older, you have other interests and other things come into your life and, you know, you've, you have your career and work and all that kind of thing. But, look, there's always something inside me that's, you know, there's something inside of me that's just kind of dragging me back the whole time. And, look, as someone said to me before, you'd be gone long enough and once once you hang up that hurley, that's it, you're done, you're forgotten about and someone else comes in and takes the place. So, while make make hay while the sun shines as they say and you know thankfully I'm fit enough and able enough to, to still be involved in the panel so I'm going to try and give my all for, for the county as long as I can and whether that's another six months or whether it's another 12 months we'll see but um, we'll, we'll take it we'll take it one step at a time anyway You're a competitor as well though and you like to win so the fact that you're coming back again for another year that's that's in your mind it has to be that the Liam McCarthy is something that you feel is a realistic um, possibility for you guys this year? Yeah, look, as I said to one of the lads earlier on in one of the interviews, that, you know, you, you, you do it for the love of the game and enjoyment, as Ruby was talking about there, but like, at the end of the day, you, 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 you're going back because you know, you've, you, you think you have a chance of, of, of being competitive and being successful and being involved in the big games at the end of the year, at the end of the summer, and that's definitely the way I feel at the moment as well. Look, the the management has changed the backroom team has changed there's a couple of changes in the panel as well but at the end of the day we still have good players and good hurlers in Tipperary and there's a lot of good young lads coming through there and I just love nothing more to be a, a small part of, of their success if, if, that, if that can happen and um, look it, it'd be great if we can if we can get to the latter stage of the championship and be successful but going back to your question Marie yeah, you have to feel that you have a chance or else there's no point being involved Are you looking down the I'm not sure what the name of the road is, but when you come out of Thurless Racecourse and Third Right, it brings you straight to Limerick. Are you looking in there thinking, I want to be part of the tip team that stops them? Um, yeah, look, they're, they are the barometer and they've, they've raised the bar the last two years and look totally deserved and they have a good thing going down there at the moment and um, I'm working down there myself for the last number of years so I know what they're, what they're putting into it and you have to admire them and the players they have but Look, whatever team takes them down is, is going to have to earn it. And, you know, we seen it last year in the Munster final. We we for 35 minutes and we were still beaten by nearly 10 points, even though we hurled outstanding for the first half. So they're just a, a, a juggernaut at the moment. But isn't that a great challenge for us? Or is it a great challenge for any other team that's playing them in this year to, to try and take them down? And that's what it's all about and being competitive. And as I said to Marie there, you know, you wouldn't be doing it unless you know you had a chance of, 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 of trying to turn these teams over and, and being successful. Yeah, that's for sure. And I can't wait for it. My second Jay interview in this hour. I'm so happy right now. Before we finish up, though, uh, John Bubbles O'Dwyer is not in the Tipperary squad. A bit of a surprise to people that aren't in the camp. Uh, what's your reaction to that, buddy? Yeah, to be honest with you, Marie, it's the first I've heard of there as well because I'm actually not inside with the lads myself yet at the moment I'm nursing just trying to get back from a couple of injuries so it's actually the first I've heard of it um, so I don't know what's totally involved there whether he's he's trying to get himself right with a couple of injuries as well I know he struggled with a couple of injuries so I don't know what we'll be seeing later on but that's, that's I don't know now I can't really comment to be honest with you it's, it's news to me as it is to everyone else at the moment so um, I'm sure there's a bit of substance behind it anyway whether he needs to look after himself with regards to injuries I knew he was struggling for a while so um, 
maybe we might see him later on in the summer. I'm not going to put you under pressure now, but Tipperary GA did confirm to Tip FM that he is not part of the management plans for 2022. So we'll see how that one plays out. Maybe he will be back. I'm going to dig you out here now. That was a brilliant <laughs> answer. I'd have given the same answer as you gave as well. So I'm going to back you up there, Potty. And at that, I'm going to let you off the hook. Sure. Thanks a million for taking our call. Ruby to save the day. Talk to you soon, Potty. No problem. Game on on 2FM with Green Farm. Being flat to the mass isn't real. Our protein is get real. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Game On. I do believe Mark Langdon has joined us on the line and we're going to start with Everton. Mark, what is going on over there? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Any, I'm not even sure. Uh, Mashiri, the owner, knows exactly what's um, what's going on. Of course, um, in terms uh, of Rafa Benitez being sacked this week, Duncan Ferguson has been placed um, in caretaker charge. But you know, it, it sounds like they're they're trying to at least speak to former player Wayne Rooney. They had an offer rejected um, to speak to Roberto Martinez in, in terms of maybe a job share with Belgium. Uh, Jose Mourinho, who was initially linked as being um, sort of uh, relinked again. Uh, we've had Frank Lampard um, linked with the job. I mean, I think that this kind of complete... Uh, if you look at the, the kind of names that are being linked and being Everton are trying to speak to, I think it's pretty clear that they haven't got that much of an idea actually in terms of what type of manager they want because all of those names I've just mentioned, uh, you know, most of those are completely different managerial styles. Doesn't look like they've got, you know, an, an ideology in mind as to what they want, but that's no surprise for a team that, that sacked a manager, having backed the manager in terms of sacking the head of science, the um, director of football, getting rid of one of the star players after he'd had a row with the manager, and then you sack him three days later. Absolute chaos and, um, you know, just real confusion, I think, at Everton at the moment. While we are talking about chaos, we might as well very quickly move on to Manchester United as well and the whole saga now with Ranić and Martial, which has developed a little bit today, Mark. Bring us up to speed. Yeah, so, I mean, um, Ranić, um, I don't know if he misspoke or um, yeah, he, he said, of course, that Martial didn't want to play at the, at, at the weekend. Martial completely... Um, you, you know, he, he rebuffed those claims and said that wasn't true. Um, he said he's had clear the air talks. I still think if somebody comes in for for Martial, uh, he he will be off um, this month. It's just a case of him being quite picky on where he wants to go. Already apparently rejected Newcastle. Uh, he's sort of holding out for maybe something like Juventus, but Juventus need to get players out before they can bring in. Um, you know, somebody on, on those type of wages. But it looks like the relationship um, has broken um, there, even if Rangnick today tried to um, sort of play down, um, you know, the, that kind of end of relationship. Mark, then when we look at, obviously the game is off tonight between, uh, with Burnley we're supposed to see him at Watford, but when you look at La Liga, um, there's 20 teams in that division, 16 of them have played 20, 4 of them are on 21, in the Bundesliga they've all played 19 games, in Serie A they're all sorry, between 20 and 22 games, and in the French League 1 they're on 20 or 22. Why have there been so many more cancellations of games in the Premier League? Burnley have only played 17, whereas Chelsea, Man City and West Ham have played 22. Yeah, I mean, the rules are, are all over the place in, in the Premier League. You know, the fact that they've allowed 
the rule to be used for absentees that includes injuries, that includes AFCON, um, is completely um, ridiculous. And you know, teams have taken advantage of that. That those rules aren't in place elsewhere. Um, a team in Italy, Salernitana, have just been deducted a point and given a free nil defeat for not playing their game against Udinese in Germany. Um, you know, any any football related injury doesn't count towards the absentees. In Spain, you only have to have five professionals available, and you've got to play the game um, you know as Antonio Conte said today this is the first time he'd ever been involved in a league where um, teams can get games called off because they've got injured players they're so far down the road now though aren't they that it's very hard to almost get out of it because the precinct is there for nearly every eventuality when it comes to Covid and injuries and, and mixing and matching yeah, but I think that they've changed the rules mid-season before. Not not with this one, but if you remember the handball um, law changed um, mid-season because they were giving too many penalties. So, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would complain now if they just said, right, you know, we're changing them again. It's up to the clubs. You know, the, the club, it's a self-governing that the Premier League, when we talk about the Premier League's got it wrong, it's the clubs that come up with the rules so um, I, I think that they should get together they need obviously a certain amount of votes to, to get it changed and I, I think that they should um, act in, in good faith and, and just you know change the rules because as uh, Ralph Harsenhut said the other day you, if you leave the door open don't be surprised if people walk in and you know that's exactly what's happened here with with, with these rules they, they've left them open to manipulation and, and teams have taken advantage but I don't think they should be allowed to anymore I, I don't see any problem with closing the loophole now and making those laws much tighter.